I'm going to begin by reading scripture. Actually, I'm going to begin and I'm going to conclude with passage of scripture and read. And I wouldn't like for it to soak down into your soul. So if you would turn with me to Philippians in chapter 2. The passage that the youth studied together when they went on their recent retreat. I'm going to read a portion of it. And if you will look very carefully as I read this. Embedded in this text, I'm going to read down through verse 4. You will find that uh, there is the the truth that we wish to pursue tonight is embedded in this text. Are you with me? Philippians 2, follow. If, therefore, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then, of course, this leads into that classic statement with regard to Christology, the person of Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who? All right. Just, uh, all right, pin that up on the bulletin board of your brain, and uh, I'm going to reference this text as we move through here. What if you were told that you had a bacterial infection which has affected your health in many ways you may not have recognized? What if you were told that this bacterial infection could kill you unless you do something about it? What if you were told that there is a medicine that treats this bacteria? Would you take it? I think you would. We would pursue it hotly. (laughs) Well, I present this to us tonight. I think we all need to investigate this bacteria which may be termed as the forgotten vice. Now, in order to uh, understand the significance of this language, the forgotten vice, I have to give you a brief update, and I want to tell you a little bit about what was involved and what led to this study. I've never taken the subject, overcoming vainglory. Dealt with it. You know, you go through Scripture, you're going to bump into everything that's in there. (laughs) However, to take it and to see it and to hold it up and to look at it and to be slain, I mean slain by seeing the gravity of it, I don't know that I ever have, and that's to my shame. Quite frankly, I will say that, um, as I I guess I could say this about a lot of things, couldn't, couldn't we? I wish someone had presented this to me when I was um, 15, 16 years of age, new Christian. Oh, I can think of a lot of things that young Christians, I, I, I wish, 
don't take this personally, but I would love to have an auditorium of teenagers. So. <laughs> but, but, let me, but let me tell you how this came about. I'll move right through it. Um, this biblical concept, this teaching, is not totally unknown to most of us. So I don't, I don't, you're going to sit there and think, well, yeah, um, I know about this. And if in no other way you know about it, you know about it because you deal with it every day and probably about every minute of every day in some form or fashion. And some deal with it, well, we all deal with it in various ways. It's, it's the sin which our culture celebrates without any embarrassment whatsoever. I mean, it's huge in our culture. It's literally everywhere. <laughs> and as I say that, it is 6.30. Need I say more? That it, it is celebrated everywhere. Now, you're, we're thinking of sports, but not only in sports, as I will see. It just covers the whole spectrum of life. So don't think that, well, we're going to really get on those who like to parade their own prowess and abilities in sports. We're thinking too small if we think there. But let me tell you, this, this study came about as I'm doing this series, and I've got quite a list by my chair of overcoming, overcoming. I've got a list of things. And this was not on it until probably about a week and a half, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I was reading in a magazine, and I came across a, a one-page book review. I, I, I get great value out of, out of um, I get a lot out of book reviews. Can't read everything by any means, but book reviews have really helped me. And oftentimes, they've done things like this. They just ignite something. You read it, you say, it's kind of a, an epiphany. Voila! <laughs> and I read this review, and the review was of this book. I was n I'm not aware of any other book by such a title and would, that dealt with this subject the way this book has. It's titled, Vainglory, the Forgotten Vice, by Rebecca DeYoung. She is a philosophy professor at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And without spending needless time, I'm not here to review the book, but I want to tell you, reading the book and reading the review of the book in the book, it just opened up all sorts of corridors of thought. And so, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that verse, that text. That. And, and I, I will confess this to you that a significant degree of discomfort came over me when I saw it, when I read the review and I began to read the book. Maybe I'll leave my confessions at that point, that a significant degree, and when I read it, it didn't get any better. Very uncomfortable. If you don't want to be uncomfortable and you just want to be satisfied, don't read it, and you can do something else, work a crossword puzzle, or check your phone for the score. 
but if you want to be made a little bit uncomfortable, let's go now. It's my turn to bring you in on this discomfort, okay? That, uh, and I'll, I'll reference this uh, a little later on. By the way, get this out of the way um, uh, up front, that there are companion volumes, and which I, I, I recommend if you wish to pursue this in thought and prayer. Hopefully the Spirit of God will have stirred us by the time we work through this. You will think, I need to go further in thought and prayer with regard to this. C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. The Weight of Glory. Paperback. It's typical C.S. Lewis, but I, I would recommend that in relation to this. And this little volume, <clears throat> it's a, called a classic. A classic a book is, I've heard defined, it's a book that everybody talks about and nobody reads. Uh, and this one is the Confession of St. Augustine. And if you want to read someone's involvement and struggle with vainglory, this is it. And 1,600 years ago, it was written. And so, now, there is uh, a necessary um, moment or a few moments that we need to have to consider a word, which you saw in the title to uh, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Weight of Glory, the concept, the truth of glory. It's a big word in our Christian vocabulary, isn't it? It's, it's, it is huge. We say we want to do it for the glory of God, where we speak and think of God's glory. Psalm 19 speaks of God, all glory belongs to God. Look at his handiwork. Uh, we're to do our good deeds for the glory of God, Matthew 5.16, John 15.8. And... In his glory, that is, in Jesus' glory, the Father is glorified, John 13 and 31. It is a major, major theme. Now, the question comes up at this point as we think of, and, and let me just briefly say what the glory of God is. It will be the sum total of all of the perfections of God. It's the word glory in the Hebrew. The word means weight. So we're talking about weightiness, value, and God's weightiness is because of all of the perf- his perfections. Now, we come to Scripture and see encounters that human beings have with God and encounter somewhat his glory. Well, what do we find when they encounter his glory? They find moments, experiences where they are face-to-face with overwhelming sensory overload. I mean, how else can you get such the greatness, the glory of God, which is to say the sum total of his goodness? When you study theology proper, the character of God, you study the attributes of God, and at least one way you can do so is the attributes of goodness and the attributes of greatness. And glory encompasses all of this. It's the weight, the sum total of who God is and God. So question now, though, is can glory ever be good for humans? 
Now, in de Young's book, and if you go out and you get it and you read it, I guess I should put this little caveat. I do have to give a little brief um, review of it. It has great value. It will stir your thinking. It will take your place. It will take you with thought about how to bring glory to God and deal with your own heart in dealing with vainglory in ways you probably have not considered. That's the impact it had on me, just how deep and wide this thing is. Uh, but being a, <clears throat> being a philosophy, uh, a pro- professor of philosophy, she's strong on her references to philosophers. Um, not, I don't mean exotic philosophers, but uh, she will say, she, has, she references a lot of uh, theologian philosophers, theologians like Aquinas, and she's heavy with uh, in the, the church some of the church fathers and with Augustine and such. You wish there were more interaction with uh, scripture verses like you know a, a, CCC, a CCEF recommended book on like how to overcome something or another, and you know how you can get right into it with Scripture and taking you down paths of thought and interacting with particular verses. You'll see some of that, but you'll want more of that. So if you get it and you read it, you say, wow, I'm wanting more. Okay, good, but it it does. So with that said, um, she quotes uh, quite often from Thomas Aquinas, theologian, 1300s, uh, 1200s, 13th century. She says, uh, quoting Aquinas, glory means goodness that is displayed. That helped me. It gives a handle for going where we need to go with this. That glory means goodness that is displayed. Now, we have none. Uh, moral expressions of glory. We use this word, we use the word glory like that frequently, don't we? Uh, we have, I, I even used it yesterday. We were, Beth and I were getting ready to go somewhere, coming in, and outside our basement door, um, Beth has planted some pansies. I mean, it's the only real color <laughs> that around right now, and at least in our yard, of uh, some golds and some purples. And I don't, by the way, somebody really needs to take up for the species of the flower pansies. Where did we ever get to somebody is a little less than robust? They say, well, you're a pansy. Pansies have been underrated. They get through wintertime without care. I, okay, another point. But I looked at those things, and, you know, we've, we've been kind of, working to try to protect them and mother them along. And when it gets severely cold, we go out with a sheet and put it over it and so on. But I said, look, there they are in all their glory. (laughs) Because they were just, their little heads were just perked up in the weather, the rain and things. And we use the word glory that way. We understand what that means, in all their glory. But let's come back to human goodness and with another, with an attached idea of glory seeking. And now, okay, we do get into our experience of fallenness, and we know what glory seeking is. To take credit for virtue, this is de Young's, this is the way she puts it, 
to take credit for our virtuous actions instead of giving credit to God and his grace and power. That's good. I'm going to read that one again. Here's what glory seeking is to take credit for our virtuous actions instead of giving credit to God and his grace and power. So glory, though, can be as something good being put on display for others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whatever you eat, drink, everything, whatever you think, do, all of it, do what? For the glory of God. What's that mean? Put his goodness on display. Let other people see. Some aspect, some part of God is evident in our lives in what we do. So here is then, I think, which is, this is an important tag that I'd like for us to remember, that glory is goodness that is displayed. That works for me. It helps me. If you get another way of putting it, fine. But I like the way this was put. And it comes from Aquinas. It's goodness that is displayed. God's goodness is always the ultimate source of all other goodness. But now we've got to go into the problem of human goodness and what happens there. What happens with human goodness? But just to, just to pause and say one brief thing. I was reading through the, as some of us are, we're reading through, right now we're in Leviticus, if we're reading through the, reading through the Bible in a year. And this time around, I was taken by the detail to which God went into in ordering up the tabernacle in every aspect of it and the priestly vestments. I thought, this is a, it's a beautiful place. Beauty, stones, colors, uh, fabrics, uh, gold, silver, the uh, precious wood, uh, ostentatious. No, I say God presents in some measure through the, he did through the tabernacle, what? His glory. You look at it and you would go and as you would observe it and think about it and as much of it as you could see. You go, oh, overwhelming. So think of that as we think of glory. Now, all right, but let's just say, what's all that got to do with vainglory? Got a lot to do with it. Because here's where the wheels begin to come off. We're called upon to display God's goodness. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives, if you will, producing the fruit of the Spirit as God forms Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit through his word. Goodness. But what can happen? I'm going to begin with a definition, and the definition is an attempt to get a handle on it. Vainglory is the display of one's goodness in the place of the display of God's goodness. So we get some kind of an eclipse action here. Something comes in to cloud it and distort it. And I reference for you, I reference Philippians 2 and verse 3. Now, I read it to you, and you say, well, I didn't hear the word vainglory in there. But if you've been reading the King James, the original King James in 2, 3, this is one of the first things I did when I saw the title of the book and I began to think about this issue, vainglory, and this, this vice. 
And in the old Strong's Concordance, based upon the King James, you only find it one time. You know where it is? Philippians 2, 3. That is translated in the New American Standard, empty conceit. And kenodoxion. And kenodoxion is a compound of two words. It's translated almost just literally here, the value of the New American Standard. The word kenos, meaning empty, or we'd say meaningless, and doxa, which means that which is appears. Glory, empty glory. It is meaningless. But he goes on to say, you will notice the context, though. It's contrasted with what? Humility of mind. That helps us. Because he's urging the Philippian believers, listen, don't dwell on those things that just have to do with you. Think about others. And then he gives, what does he do? Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ. He gave himself for others. Now, let's go Let's with what you have before you. Let's consider the following. Vainglory is fostered and nurtured by sinful human pride. So, oh, you can say now, you may say, oh, oh, pride. Yeah, I know about that one. That is pretty big in Scripture. This is everywhere. And... If I may hitchhike on the way Jerry Bridges uh, uses uh, the word weeds, of uh, the weeds of anger, I'll use the word weeds. This is vainglory's the weeds of pride. All right. So we're in the deep, dark cellar of the human heart as it is untouched by God's spirit. Pride is the spoiler. Now, what is pride? Pride is is the desire superiority and the vainglorious desire to show off superiority. It's the desire for superiority. I want to be, I'm the greatest. I'm better than. And the vainglorious desire to show it off. So you see how vainglory gets in here now? What does it do? It's wanting to show off oneself. All right, let's put it this way. Pride is the displacement of God by oneself. Move out of the way, God. I want to be center stage. Vainglory is pride strutting across the stage of life. So that's where we need to see vainglory. It's not, it's not benign. It's pride. It is tricky. And pride then, and I, I have a quote here from my friend Stuart Scott. This comes from that book, uh, The Exemplary Husband. By the way, he has an excellent chapter on humility and pride. He he knows men need to deal with Women do too, but there's a man version of it. (laughs) That uh, he gives this definition. That pride is the mindset of self. That is a master's mindset rather than a servant. It's the mindset of self. A focus on self and the service of self. A pursuit of self-recognition. That's why I wanted to put in there. Get that? Self-recognition. And self-exaltation. And a desire to control and use all things for self. Now we can get it, we can get it even more closely attached to what we're doing in terms of what, 
How does it walk across and strut across the stage of life? How does pride do so? What is, how does vainglory behave? Here we are. This, I, I took this from DeYoung's book. I thought it was a good, if you want to, this is the AAA, <laughs> not the AAA Motor Club, but this is the way in which vainglory motors along, if you will, the way it walks. It thrives on attention, affirmation, and applause. I'll come back to those. And I should add this, that vainglory is considered, as, as DeYoung I mean, ably presents it here, I mean, she goes through church, her church history, that it is classified as a capital vice. A capital vice. This is the way the early church, especially in the first three and four hundred years of the church, they looked at the at vainglory. You know what I mean? What's meant by capital? In other words, it's big. It's important. It's basic. It's the soil out of which other sins come. And it's it's actually one of the original seven deadly sins. Get back to that a little later. But uh, gluttony, vainglory, and, and so on. All right, we, we, do we have that? I hope that's not. I've got to move along so we can get, get down to the, the issues of dealing with it. All right, vainglory is glory seeking, which easily progresses into a pattern of life. What's glory seeking? It's wanting people attention, affirmation, and applause for goodness. See me, see what I've done, see who I am, so on. And I'll list these uh, here. I'm going to get them all up and, well, as far as I can get them uh, to a point. It values a good thing. And I'm going to give you an example. So this is not just theoretical. So get these. It values a good thing. This is how it progresses. Their expectations then begin to become corrupted. The desire for an audience, or excuse me, compromise, then poisons ambitions. The desire, okay, let's, uh, I'll get the next uh, three up. Couldn't get them all there in that one. The desire for an audience infects the motives, and a disordered desire for glory takes center stage. Did it, did it, did I go too fast with that? Do I need to back up? I can if I need to. Got it? I don't see any help. If you got the progression. Now, in her book, she gives uh, has a section called Glory Stories. <laughs> and I, so I, she has one, but I thought I'd just, mine, maybe not as good, but uh, I have to work with something that um, quickly came to mind. I'll give you an example of how it could work. First of all, let's say here, and I'm going to, this is not, I'm going to pick on preachers or theologians and Christian leaders in this. All right, you study and you gain a knowledge of a truth, a particular truth. You study hard. You work at it. You really drill deeply and you master a biblical subject. Okay, that's not a foreign concept. Uh, We know the result of that in turn. Well, let me show you. Then... You begin to get attention, or the, uh, the, the person who presents this subject, this biblical truth, this area, this concept, and they begin to get attention and recognition 
and they write a book. Say, well, this, you need to put that into a book. Well, perks begin to come. Perks, travel, speaking at conferences, suddenly you're an expert. And I say, you know what they say about an expert, somebody who's away from home. <laughs> but you become an expert. And then there are demands of a wider audience. You get invitations to go places. You've got your... I'm going to need to pause here. I'm not saying it's deterministic and therefore the whole system of studying the Bible and writing books and making people, helping people to profit is corrupt. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm going to show you how vainglory comes in and can infect it. Got it? It infects it so easily. And then, so you get this demand of a wider audience and then coming in is the infection somewhere in here. I who knows, the desire for fame, and it becomes like an addiction and a craving for attention. All right, now if that you say, well, hey, I, I'm off the hook. I, no book, I've never run, going to write a book. I've never written one. All right, we have our own versions of this. You're good at something. You've got some gift. You do something. So this is to just show us, though, how it can come in. So let's, uh, let's advance it. Important, then. This is important. Vainglory. Vainglory can... Um, you don't have this in your notes, so I'm, I'm adding this. Let me back up so I don't distract you. Vainglory can infect anything you are, anything you have, or anything you do. And nobody in here gets off the hook. <laughs> it's goodness on display. Speaking, music, athletics, writing, cooking, physical appearance, clothes, skills, talents, achievements. The pursuit of holy living can get infected with vainglory. I wish I had time to track this off for you. This is the value of the book and the history lesson. Uh, De Young spends a lot of time quoting and referencing the Desert Fathers. You know who the Desert Fathers were? These were monks in the first two, three hundred years of the church who went down into Egypt. They, as the Roman Empire began to... This is Church History 101. If you've taken church history, you remember this. As the Roman Empire began to crumble and civilization collapsed, uh, there were many who were trying to pull away from the corruption, some, pull away from the corruption, and their pull to God in desire for separation from the evil that was this... Uh, pervasive around them, went out into the desert. I remember in church history, when I, my first study of church history, uh, we just studied some of that, Steinman Stalites, you know, the flagpole sitter, and said so they could do some weird things. But <clears throat> that really gets to be a little misleading if you're not careful, because there were, there were men who were these desert fathers among them, they were earnestly trying to seek ways to glorify God. 
But as she shows in the book, and you can see what easily happened, that that process became infected with, with vainglory. What you're willing to do, she tells the fascinating story of this one monk who, wanting to just demonstrate his, uh, just, it, it, it was kind of a penance, an act of penance. Uh, he went out into the swamp and just went out there for a week and allowed himself to be bitten by mosquitoes the whole time. And when he came back, he was hardly recognizable, you know, his face and such. But it's this kind of behavior in which she explained interacts in with its... All right, but being... But let's get back to today. We're looking at 400 to 1,600 years ago. But being vainglorious has never been easier. Okay, I'm, this is uh, February the 1st, 2015 now. It's never been easier. YouTube, Twitter, uh, these sound familiar. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and as every kid on the back of a bus would know, how the latest gadget in the hands of that kid, that nobody else has this electronic gadget, oh my. Is that intoxicating? And it doesn't have to be with just happened with things, other things in the past. But I quote, our culture for, forms us to crave recognition. Our social world, online and in person, it's a world of attention seeking, W-H-I-R-L, an expected way of life. Uh, how can we be vainglorious? Well, I've mentioned the, the, the occasions, but let's go a little further. We want to ex- display the markers of our culture to our peer group that uh, define success. Children, how well they did on their SAT scores. Um, Listing uh, in professional circles, listing strings of professional degrees after one's name. And our contemporary culture is a breeding ground for vainglory. American Idol, (laughs) the media, what we purchase, what we wear, who we're associated with. She says, DeYoung says, that our culture trades so well in the shallow and sensational. It's everywhere. We soak in it. We soak in it. So none of us can feel untainted by this, and it's affected all of us. I told you, this thing really made me uncomfortable. And I didn't even mention smartphones. And that with a smartphone, I guess I have a version of one here that uh, it's, it's not as advanced as the kids, as the grandkids. Oh, my there, they're telling us, whoa, you need to upgrade, you need to upgrade. Oh, my. But, and, and, and I'm not saying this is evil, but the point is, is that we have a virtual audience for whatever we say and do. I, so, so I'm not saying let's all have a smartphone burning. <laughs> I'm just saying, and I hope you'll get this, that we have tools that can be used for God's glory but how easily they turn back on us for our attention, our affirmation, and our applause. So 
You say, well, how will I know the difference? I'm, for those who have some conscience that's a little concerned, you'd say, what I do? What I do? That's not a bad place to be in, to feel that tension. Lord, it's the step toward dealing with it. All right, whoo, we've got to get along here. Uh, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to stay on this one very long, but uh, I would say this much, that um, vainglory has its poster children in Scripture. Though the word vainglory doesn't appear, at least the translation of the word, the, 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 the pride manifested in vainglory is in a lot of places. And I mentioned Satan. Uh, I, if you believe that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 could very well at least typify Satan, or say, uh, said in Isaiah 14, I will raise my throne, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. There are some of us who believe that those places in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are there by design, and you have purposely exaggerated language to look beyond the king of Babylon to the king of Tyre, in the case of Ezekiel 28, to look beyond that to Satan himself, <clears throat> the god of this world. And then there's Hezekiah, Hezekiah, who, you know, what he did, Second Chronicles 32, 36, Isaiah, um, the mid-chapter, what, chapter 38, 39, that um, he brings the Assyrian, the delegation of Assyrians come in and say, hey, let me show you what we got here. And Hezekiah gets spanked for it. But that's a, that's a gross example of, of, <clears throat> of vainglory. The uh, cows of Bashan, Ladies, don't take this personally, but this is the way the prophet of Amos referred to the women in Israel, in the northern tribes, because the kind of Bashan, it's, and they were sleek, well-fed cattle. And what he's doing is uh, speaking to the women who were just preening themselves on their own appearance and Vainglory all over the place in a time of apostasy. All they were interested in is how they looked. And all they wanted from their husbands was just, hey, bring home the bacon, honey, so I can look good. And then there's Herod in Acts 12. And then in the New Testament, we have the Pharisees. And Jesus, he whacked them. Uh, here, for example, this is in Matthew 6 and 2 and 5 and 18. But in... Uh, well, skipped over Nebuchadnezzar, I don't have time. And well, here are the Pharisees. When therefore, Jesus said to them, When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. He says the same about fasting and says the, the same thing about prayer, just to show off. Uh, we would really think it's weird, wouldn't we, somebody... Oh, look, there comes, uh, no name mentioned. And all of a sudden over here we say, and somebody, oh, he walks in and drops his money in the box and off goes the sound of the trumpet. However, what is going on in my mind when I give? Hmm? Can I be guilty of Phariseeism in some way, some form, some fashion? Would I like information to slip out as to what I give and what I've done? So, okay, 
All right. Then I tell you, this made me uncomfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable. All right. Uh, for God's sake, for the, His glory. I, I would add now this number four that vainglory is the mother of a thousand losses. I just I'm going to fly through them. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And in other words, it's the soil from which grows poisonous weeds all over the place. How corrupting it is. The loss of the pursuit of God's glory. When I am, I'm the center of attention. I want people to what? I want acceptance. I want an, I want uh, affirmation. I want an audience. I want applause. When that's, where's God? What happened? Loss of the pursuit of God's glory. Loss of God honoring servanthood. In my thinking, as I move through life and move among God's people and enter into the life of the assembly, that is my primary thought. How can I serve? Or is it, how can others serve me? And the loss of sharp-eyed biblical perspective comes in. This one opened up another carter. I don't have time to go down, but... You know, some have said that we live in the age of narcissism. And some of us have, uh, how should I say this delicately, that there are, seems to be some really powerful evidence of an increasing number of people that are just purely narcissistic. I mean, it's it just totally about them. Life's totally about themselves. Totally. But we've got to be careful, though. That we think, well, there you are. Whew. I'm glad I'm not that way. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a little narcissist in every heart in here tonight. Every one of us. And by God's grace, if we haven't gone the whole distance, but it's the potential is there. Let's move a little further along. Vainglory produces poisonous fruit. Poisonous fruit. Now, I'm taking these, De Young mentions these, and I thought that uh, she, she nailed it, and I'm just going to, I'm, here they are, boasting, which is exaggerating our good qualities in word. We, hypocrisy, pretending to have good qualities that we do not actually have, but to make others think well of us indeed. And I like this one. <laughs> she takes this. This is from the church, uh, the medieval times. This is an old term, but I thought it was, it was curiously humorous. Presumption of novelties. Who in here would I, what is presumption of novelties? I'm, I'm going to put it into you in, in desiring the latest toy. <laughs> desiring the latest toy in order to get the attention of others. Obstinacy. Obstinacy is we habitually insist on our own judgment and we reject that of a better judge. And contention. Contention. Quarreling. Defensively expressed in word. Being defensive. Discord that we tend to refuse to agree with those wiser than us. And disobedience. 
We refuse to carry out the command of someone in authority over us. These are not good signs. I thought these were good diagnostic. So this, this comes see up out of vainglory. So you want to see where vainglory is? And you probably thought, if you hadn't thought of yourself, you probably did think of somebody. <laughs> and you think, whoa, could there... Well, this ought to really help me in my prayer life, and it ought to help me to deal with myself. All right, I don't have time to stay there. I must come to the conclusion. The vice of vainglory must be cut down at its roots. It must be cut down at its roots. If you will, uh, ladies, will excuse the sports metaphor. Men are attracted to these kinds of things. Pride has to be confronted by full court press. It is, you're all over it. You can't get the ball in. You're not a full court press. You're not supposed to. Go after it. I'm saying, go after it. Go after it. And I'm going to give some suggestions. Secondly, secondly, prune away, prune away the bad fruit of vainglory. I want to suggest two areas. I have to be very brief here, but I hope I can at least incite some desire to Get after this thing as you want to think on this. First of all, it's a meditation. Meditation. It's the thoughtful, disciplined, and consistent study of the Scriptures will make it possible for us to be sober-minded. That's clear-headed. And increasingly free from former lust. 1 Peter 1.14 so God's revelation enables us to place everything in perspective. See what important that importance is. You knew this. I'm talking to the choir. Like this morning in Justin, idols. See, we, we need this. The church has been the church has, has thrived on this for two thousand years. Somewhere, somehow, someplace. And some places it's stronger and more pervasive than others, but this is the history of the church that we need this. But not only in meditation, what I call detachment. Detachment. <clears throat> and here is where I, I got some, <laughs> this is strange, I was reading this section. Of, she has a section here called Silence and Solitude. Silence and Solitude. Now I'm arranging that under the word detachment. And I was reading this at a wrestling match yesterday, this section here. It was ironic. <laughs> Silence and solitude. And, uh, but here's where we can go with this. The suggestion is, and, and she has some fascinating examples of how this was given as an assignment to her students in classes, like silence. And that you have a quiet day or a quiet week, a quiet hour. Okay, you say, hey, I don't have any problem doing that. Okay, let me turn the screws a little tighter. That is not talking about your own needs or wants, and you're not talking about yourself. Try this sometime. Try this. It's unsettling. Now, I'll speak for myself. It's unsettling to me. I, I said, I got a problem. <laughs> and I, I confess that. I began to think back. This is one thing the book did. I think back. I began to think back to the first grade. 
I thought, oh, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> oh, that's enough. Okay. Um, but she recommends silence. And silence means that you do. You, and she put her students on this. It's a fascinating study where students did this for a week. And then they came back and reported in as to the effect of that on their communication. You don't talk, you, okay, I'll leave it at that. Just try it. i just leave it at you, that you're not going to talk about yourself. You're going to stand there, and when you're, you're really going to work at listening to the other person and ask them questions, and you are resolved that I am not bringing what I want or my circumstance, I'm not going to bring it in. All right. Not easy, not easy. Here's a quote that comes from a Joseph Pfeiffer who said, Only the one who is silent can hear. Uh, That opens up, but knocks on a door of thought. Because the the point is, well, then she mentions, and it's mentioned solitude. This is not original with her, but I'm referenced because she has solitude. There is value of pulling yourself away from the the push of everyday work, especially if you're in a situation where you have to perform, where you have to be in control, and I mean in a reasonable way, but even beyond that, if you tend to be a controller, you want to be the center of attention, you want to be heard, and you thrive on that, and you would like to detox, solitude. Get yourself away for a while. Have, take some kind of sabbaticals. Short ones or long ones? All right, I conclude. Keep your gaze fixed on the gold standard of Jesus resistant to vainglory. Really? Remember what Satan said? Why don't you get up on the top of that, uh, the the, the temple up there, the, the highest point, and listen, throw yourself down. And if you really want to impress people, you really want to show them power. These angels will come and whoosh, what a show. What a show. Now, we read that thing. That's a slam dunk for Jesus. He's God. He's not going to. I'm telling you, Jesus had to deal with temptation. And this was only one of the three areas where he had to work with regard to gluttony and vainglory. And avarice or greed. But he, he depended on the Father. The cross was before him. That kept him in focus. Moving. Uh, he would not put on a sideshow to display himself and his power. And then last. Set your heart on being enthralled. Being enthralled with the giver of all good things. And this is James He's the giver of all good things. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given me, what I am, what I have, and what I can do. Now, here is where it's a bit frustrating at this point. It's time to conclude. And I thought, we're just now at the point where we need to have a breakout session, and we need to have some uh, groups, and we need to have questions. And we could work through questions that we have. Well, I can think of some. Uh, for example, does this mean 
that when I stand, when I get up in the morning and I'm thinking about how I'm going to dress to go to church, that I got to dress. The ladies would say, we need to order burkas. That when we look, and just and men too, when you want to wear a certain tie, you want to fix your hair in a certain way, women more than men, I guess we're kind of, men are kind of locked in to our condition. But um, um, whatever it is, if it's clothes, appearance, is that in itself prideful and therefore conducive to vainglory? Um, can I not say anything about something that I've done? Is it always wrong to want attention? To And this is where we can't talk about it when we're out of time, but I wanted us to think about it and maybe another, we could do a series on this or somebody could. I'll hand it off to Justin. That uh, Think about then how we can present the goodness of God in us, through us, in various ways. And how the goodness of God can be put on display to please him. And then that takes us back to the problem of hypocrisy. And she, the youngest guy, quite a section on this, a lengthy section on hypocrisy. And the point is, is that there's going to be a time where you're not going to have absolutely 100% pure motives. So you're, you're growing in Christ and there's something that's beginning to come through in your life that wasn't there before. Maybe greater generosity or, you know, you're waking up to mercy like you've never been awakened to it before. You're thinking about others like you've never thought about them. And then hypocrisy is there ready to do its thing. And you say, well, I can't have pure motives. What I do, what I do. Okay, it casts us upon the Lord. Let's, let's close. And um, I said I was going to read one passage. I'll read it. And then um, if you want to talk about things afterward, we can. But I want to read... One of my favorite passages in the Bible, a good memory verse. By the way, I would suggest this is another one of your assignments on this. Memorize a passage like this that I'm about to read, or the Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Memorize it. And so it just comes out of you just like that. You don't have to hesitate. That's a very important step. Well, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this. Aha! That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. All right, I know I probably have stirred up more dust than we can take care of right at the moment. And, uh, okay, um, it's 20 after, so anybody want to chase anything? Anything that I didn't make that I could have made more clear? I'm sure there are plenty of those, but uh, anything that uh, are you uncomfortable? I hope so. I am. I am, and I've got to go all the way back to the first grade and work my way through some things. <laughs> Lord, grant us grace to... Think your thoughts and not get lost, Lord, not get lost in swimming in our sinful nature. Oh, it's ugly, it's deep, dark, polluted, deceitful. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your deliverance, your forgiveness, your mercy. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Teach us now with what we've considered to overcome, 
overcome vainglory in Christ's name. Amen.